Hey, I'm excited uh, today, man. We get the pleasure to hear from a good friend. He's no stranger to Renaissance, uh, Mr. Mike Kelsey. Give it up for Mike as he comes. Uh, Mike officiated the wedding uh, with Jordan and Jess. Um, he actually was Jess's friend, and then they allowed Jordan to get in. I'm going to make sure I get the story right. They allowed Jordan to get down. Um, I think last time, your wife, you and your wife were here. Last time Ashley was here over there, you guys were pregnant, and now uh, your youngest is one years old. Yesterday, give it up for that. Three kids, three kids. So, hey, listen, if you've never been to church and you're, this is your first time back in a while, or maybe you kind of grew up in the church and you've heard all the church stories, I'm telling you today, you will be blessed by his words. Uh, Mike is a tremendous pastor, and we are delighted to have him share the word of God with us. Let me pray. God, thank you for my brother. Uh, God, thank you for what you will do in our hearts today through him. Would you hide him behind the cross, Lord God, as he speaks to us. Give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's up, Renaissance? Everybody all right? It's popping in here, man. Yeah. That meant the music was good. That's what that meant. Um, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 1. If you uh, got translate, if uh, if you uh, have a Bible or a phone, or whatever, go to Psalm one. That's where we're gonna be. Uh, as well, I mentioned, uh, my wife uh, Ashley. I'm thankful for her and our, our kids. And uh, man, we met when she was in uh, eighth grade, and I was in tenth grade. We started uh, dating in college. Jess uh, was there. She was all in that mix, all a part of that. And uh, we were just reflecting on our life um, from back then to now, three, you know, our oldest is seven. And uh, man, uh, one of the things we're reflecting on, though, is, is one of the things you learn in any relationship, but you definitely learn in marriage, is how different y'all are. And so uh, one of the ways, so I'm like, okay, all right, all right, cool, cool. We need some marriage counseling or something? <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, a little too enthusiastic. Um, one of the ways my wife and I are different is we eat differently. Like, I eat to stop being hungry. It's just a very efficient process. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even need to do a whole lot. I just eat. My wife, like, she actually chews. You know what I mean? Like, chewing is a waste of time for me. You know what I'm saying? I just, I, minimal chews. Let's just get this thing down. Let's get this thing over with. And my wife, though, it's like game time commentary the whole time. Like, we watching the, the playoffs or something. She's like, I, I taste a hint of oregano. A hint? What? <laughs> It's just all these come like I taste noodle. You know what I mean? Like, let's keep it basic. I don't know how they on texture and how they did. I don't know all of that. I just I'm, I want to stop being hungry. That's it. I have one goal when I eat, and that is consumption. That's all I care about is I want to consume this food. And the reality of the matter is in that I miss an experience that my wife has. We, we not only eat differently, but we experience food differently. And the reason I bring that up is because I think... I think, and I've been up here enough and talked to y'all enough and, and, and lived enough to know, I think so often the way I approach food is how many of us approach the Word of God. That we just, when we come on Sunday and we listen to a sermon or we try to spend time reading the Bible or whatever, uh, we just want to consume it. It's something that we, we got to do what we got to do to get through it. And even beyond that, uh, many of us, uh, that's how we approach our whole relationship with God. That's how we look at religion. That's how we think about Christianity and the Christian life is we just want to do what we got to do just to kind of get through it. 
And, and here's what I want us to look at in Psalm 1, just two things. I want us to look at, number one, that there is an experience that God wants you to have with him. There's an experience that God wants you to have with him. And then secondly, I want us to kind of slow down and talk about very practically how to have that kind of experience with God. Can we do that? Let me read Psalm 1. I'll pick it up in, uh, in verse 1. I'm going to read through the whole thing. We're really going to zoom in on verse 2, uh, but I'll kind of explain the whole psalm just so we kind of know uh, kind of how it flows in, in the context here. So Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man, or, or the person specifically, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. That word streams literally means canals of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Why? For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. So this is, in Psalm 1, a contrast that you see all throughout the book of Psalms, and you see all throughout wisdom literature in general, whether it's Ecclesiastes or, or the Proverbs, and it's a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. Between the way the wicked roll, how they live, and, and, and the righteous and how they live in relationship with God. The wicked, the basic definition, the wicked are those who reject God. The righteous are those who worship and rely on, they depend on God. And so Psalm 1 is this contrast in the way they live and the outcome of that uh, lifestyle. And so verse 1 says, blessed is the man or blessed is the person. And I want to pause there for a second because so often we just gloss over words that we think we're familiar with. But let me just, let me slow down for a second. This Hebrew word here for blessed, it literally means happy. And it's actually though, it's, it's, it's in the plural form. So it literally means the blessings of God. The, how do you say happy in plural? I don't know. But like all the feels, all the happinesses, right? Are, are belong to, to this person. So some of your versions might say happy is uh, the man or the person, but it's a, a much more rich term than how we commonly use the word happy. When we hear happy today, we think of like lightheartedness or like emotional giddiness, right? When I think of happy, I think about that Pharrell happy video where they all dancing all in the middle of the street like ain't no cars out in the street. You know what I'm saying? Like everything is sweet. Everybody is good. Pharrell looking like Smokey the Bear with that hat on. And did I just age myself? Do y'all know who Smokey the Bear? Okay. Um, everybody's just happy. Like life is just amazing. They're twirling around. Like that's what we think about when we think about happiness. But this isn't a superficial kind of giddiness. This is, a, this, is a, this is not a happiness that's dependent on, on good circumstances. This is what Sam Storms calls a deep, durable delight in God. A deep, durable delight in God. And that's the picture, right, that we see with this tree with deep roots that's able to endure the dry season. So this is why a lot of translators, instead of translating it happy, they'll translate it blessed to emphasize that this is a happiness that only comes from our creator. 
This is a kind of lasting eternal happiness that only comes as a result of living in accordance with God's will according to his design. So we can say truly happy or truly satisfied, truly fulfilled is the person, now watch this, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So what you see here in verse 1 is this dangerous progression. The person is walking, now they're standing, and then all of a sudden they're chilling, they're sitting. It's this progression that you see in the psalm. It's a picture of someone who's drifting from God and becoming more and more ungodly at three different levels. First, in their way of thinking. Just walking in the what? In the counsel of the wicked. Walking according to the guidance or the life principles of the wicked. This is specifically the, the kind of counsel that leads you away from God. So in their way of thinking and then in their way of living, the way they begin to think starts to work its way out in the way they live. This is standing in the way. When you study the way throughout Scripture, the way is kind of the path or the lifestyle of sinners. And then eventually it begins to show up in the way they even identify themselves. And we understand that kind of this Hebrew way of speaking, this sit in the seat of scoffers, we understand this just from like high school, like the high school cafeteria. When you walk in, you already know the, the athletes are sitting over here, the nerds are over here, the people like me that, that don't fit nowhere. I wasn't cool and I wasn't a nerd. I was just lost, right? Like everybody, so you, you sit with the people that you identify with. That's the picture that we see here in this Hebrew language, sitting in the seat, is being identified now, scoffers are those who mock God, being identified as one who wants nothing to do with God. It's the person who finally says, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I don't identify with any particular God or, 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 or the Bible. Um, this, this is the person that, that essentially kind of rejects God as he's revealed himself in Scripture. And so the blessed person, the person that lives the truly fulfilled life is the person that rejects the path that leads you away from God. And let me pause there. Let me ask, why are we even tempted to follow that path? Because all of us are. I am. All of us are tempted to follow the path that leads us away from God. Why? Why? And here's why. Almost 100% of the time, this is why we're tempted to follow the path that leads us away from God. It's because we believe that that's the path to happiness. We believe that the path away from God or the path away from the restrictions, or at least how we see it, the restrictions God has for us, the path that leads away from God is the path to really living a fulfilled life. Because let's just keep it all away for a second. Let's keep it, let's be honest. Like God calls us to some weird stuff. He, what the, what, what the word of God goes against the grain. It's, it's, it's even counterintuitive, right? So, so the world will tell you be generous. The world says be generous, but, but God calls you to something even beyond that. The world says, okay, be generous, get, get a good little Instagram picture so you can post it and show people who, who you support and, and the people that you serve. But the, God calls us beyond generosity to sacrifice. God calls us to radical generosity to be so generous that it hurts. To be so generous, to give so much that it actually forces you to adjust and rearrange the way that you live your life. Like the Bible calls us to that kind of generosity in a world like we just heard in a world that's constantly saying, get more, get more, get more. 
The Bible calls us, right, to sexual purity. I ain't hear no mmms, no <laughs> nothing on that joint. It's all good. I, I got you. Straight silent. The Bible calls us to sexual purity. Listen, in a world, though, in a world that tells us that your sexual urges are, are essential, like they are absolutely necessary to not just your pleasure, but to your health and to your well-being. And, and, so, and so the Bible calls to all kinds of things that go against the grain to, to serve rather than to be served. Like that's what leadership looks like, to serve rather than to be served, to love your enemies, to, to not seek revenge. All, all these things that go against the grain. And here's what happens. This is what the Word of God says, right? But here's, here's what happens. I remember I was uh, officiating a wedding, not joining Jessica, and I was, running, I was running a little late, all right? Um, not late for the wedding, but late for the time I, I was planning to get there, okay? And so I leave and I put in, you know, uh, GPS and Google Maps. Y'all don't drive in New York. Y'all know what Google Maps is? Okay, cool. All right, so I put it, put it, the, the destination in, in, in uh, Google Maps. And remember when this feature came out where in real time it will reroute you based on traffic patterns. It, and it'll say, you're going, it'll say, we found a shorter route. Yes, Google. Right? And so that's a great feature until you are under pressure. And Google says, so I'm, I'm on my way to the wedding. Google 10 minutes in says, we found a shorter route. There's, there's traffic here. There's a 48-minute delay. I'm like, my God. Um, so, but, but here's what starts to happen, right? In the pressure, you start to question Google Maps. <laughs> you, start, you start to ask questions like, is there really traffic? <laughs> when was the last time this was updated? Is it still going to be traffic by the time I get to that, to that point? Should I even trust Google Maps? Should I just delete the app and just abandon it all together and just go out back up to the fold-out joints? Like, like, should I just let this whole thing go? And so, so I, I'm like, I don't know. I know. I kind of know the route, so I'm going to stick with the original route, Google. I'm going to stick with it. Man, I get to that point, bumper-to-bumper traffic. And that, that kind of traffic where you, you can't get off the exit because you already passed the You're in between exits. There's nothing you can do. And I'm sweating, y'all. I'm like, my... And so I, I went with my gut. I went with what felt right to me instead of going with the objective guidance of Google that has a view that I don't have. And here's what tends to happen. This is how we begin to drift. Because we think to ourselves, okay, I got to get here. Whatever here means for you. It's whatever you think is going to be fulfilling and bring you enjoyment and pleasure and satisfaction in your life. This career move or this relationship goal, whatever it is, I got to get here. And so you begin, the word of God comes and you're like, wait, no, God, that's not going to get me there. That's not going to lead me to the happiness that I desire. That's not going to lead me to the fulfillment and and the goals that I have for for my life. It seems like it would be better and the world is telling me it would be better to go this way. And in those moments, we have a decision to make. Who are we going to trust? We're going to trust how we feel. We're going to trust what the world is telling us. Or are we going to trust God in his word? Are we going to trust God in his word? And so we begin to drift because we don't think that God's word is the path to the blessed life. That it's the path to how to live a truly fulfilled life. But the blessed person in Psalm 1, look at verse 2, rejects the path that leads them away from God. And look, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, 
does he meditate day and night? The law of the Lord here, uh, the Hebrew word is, is the Torah of the Lord. Uh, it's, it's technically refers to the first five books of the Old Testament or the Mosaic law is what it's called. Um, and that's why it's, it's commonly referred to. The first five books of the Old Testament are, are, are referred to as the Torah. But this isn't, in Psalm 1, it isn't limited to the Mosaic law. In fact, the Hebrew word here isn't law in a legal sense at all. It's not like a legal law with penalties. It's, it's, it's broader than that. It literally just means instruction. It means God's covenant instruction is what it means here. So it refers to all of God's word, not just the first five books of the Bible, but all of God's instruction. And I want you to imagine for a second that this, this psalmist is thinking about the word of God and has a thesaurus, can, can use any word to describe what it's like to, to, to engage with and live according to God's word and doesn't say the word of God is, is like my authority or the, the, uh, the blessed person's authority or the word of God is this person's focus, says the law of the Lord is this person's what? Delight. Delight. Enjoyment. It's their pleasure. It's, 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 it's where they find satisfaction. These aren't words that we tend to associate with God and with a relationship with God and God's word. And so what comes to your mind when you hear the word delight? What comes to your mind? I did a, a Google image search on the word delight, which I don't recommend unless you've got a purity filter on there, right? But did a Google image search on the word delight, and one of the images that came up was a bacon cheeseburger. Wait for it. On a glazed donut. <laughs> now I heard mixed reviews. Like for some of y'all, it evokes disgust. For me, it evokes delight. I'm with that all day. I haven't had one yet. I know that y'all can tell me where to get it in New York. That I mean, is amazing. What, what comes to your mind though? When you think about it's always going to be some type of junk food for me, right? What comes to your mind when you think about delight, you think about enjoyment, you think about pleasure? What comes to your mind? It might be a certain kind of food. Might be from, it might be some roti or some jerk chicken or some whatever. It might, like Aswan said last service, some mac and cheese. I'm with you on that. You know what I mean? Like what, what comes to your mind? And here's what you got to understand, that the writer here is, this is the kind of riveting experience the writer wants to evoke with that word delight. The writer wants whatever comes to your mind when you think about delight and enjoyment and satisfaction, that's supposed to come to your mind when you think about the word of God. Because it, it is supposed to satisfy you just like that. The Word of God, living in the Word of God, reading it, studying it, is not a chore. It's something that brings deep pleasure and enjoyment and delight. And this is all over the Bible. This is the same way the prophet Jeremiah describes his experience with God's Word. Look at Jeremiah 15, 16. It says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me, watch this, they became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. Psalm 19, verses 10 and 11 says, More to be desired are they than gold, and drippings of uh, and even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by, by your words, is your servant warned. And in keeping them, watch this, there is what? Great reward. There is great reward in following your word. Psalm 119, 14, listen to this, says, I rejoice in in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. He says, I feel wealthy when I follow your word. I feel like I have this amazing 
uh, wealth and inheritance when I follow your word, because I do, because when I read your word and I follow your word, I have all the wealth of everything that God has access to. And this is exactly what Jesus says his word is designed for in your life. Listen to John 15, 11. Listen to what Jesus says. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Jesus. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Why? So that you obey? Not just that. So that you get in line? Not just that. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that, listen to this, so that my joy may be in you. My joy. What in the world does the joy of Jesus feel like? The same that me, God, this, the joy that I experience, I want that to be in you. And he says, and I want your joy to be full. I've spoken my word to you. Why? Because I want your joy to be full. Here's what I want you to see. There's an ex- amazing experience with God of delight and pleasure and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment waiting for us as we walk with God and we study and we apply his word. Man, it's, key, it's getting you up in the morning. It's keeping you up late at night because you crave the word of God. When you look at how people interact with the Bible in, in, in Scripture, God's people, it's almost like a heroin addiction. It's like they're addicted to the word. Like, they, like I, I stay up through the watches of the night, it says in Psalms, just to meditate on your words, oh God. Like there's this experience that we can have with God. You're seeing stuff that you haven't seen before, and you're implementing God's word into your life. And you begin to experience, right, the joy and adventure of a life of faith and obedience with God. And people around you, your friends and your family, your coworkers, they begin to see something different in your life. Not just duty, they begin to see delight. Not just co-obedience, I'm going to do this, to just, I'm going to do what I got to do to get through it. But they begin to see the enjoyment and the pleasure of living in a relationship with God. And I got to be honest, I have not always experienced God's word this way. I don't always experience God's word this way. As a matter of fact, it's easy for me to be so focused as a preacher on, on cooking for other people that often I don't slow down to taste it myself. Like sometimes it's easy for me to just prepare a sermon or whatever and not slow down and really enjoy it for myself. And God has been so patient to teach me and train me what it's like to live in this experience of fulfillment and enjoyment in his word. And so some of y'all are like, all right, Mike, uh, I hear you. You're super hype up there. Calm down. You know, super hype. Uh, And I, I, I get it like you're supposed to get in the Bible every once in a while, but... Like, this is not how I, my time with God feels like. This is not, this is not even how the Christian life feels like uh, to me. So I want to I just spend the rest of our time just practically slowing down and, and talking about how do you experience this with God? Like, what does that actually look like? And the psalmist points us in the right direction. The second part of verse 2 says, on his law, he meditates day and night. And this is not, like when we think about meditation, this is not the type of meditation we typically hear about, like this kind of Eastern religion meditation that's basically emptying your mind. That's not biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with God's truth. Biblical meditation is constantly processing the word of God in order to be transformed by it so that you can live according to it. That's what biblical meditation is. It literally, in the Hebrew, it literally means to mutter, to mumble under your breath. Like, that's the picture. Like, so think about a person walking around just constantly mumbling under their breath. That's the picture because because meditation is always constantly 
thinking about the Word of God and processing your life situations in light of the Word of God. And so I want to give you these four quick ways to experience this kind of delight and fulfillment with God and to meditate on God's Word. So number one is you got to learn it. You got to learn it. Like learning the Word of God is getting God's Word in your head. You can't meditate on God's Word without getting it in your head. You can't meditate on God's Word like that any more than you can digest food without putting it in your mouth. You're not going to be able to experience the kind of fulfillment that God has for you if you don't learn the Word of God. Just basically, so read the Bible. Get on a reading plan. This forces you to to read parts of the Bible that you would never read before. I think I told you all this before. Before I got married, I used to eat, no lie, I used to eat fast food three times a day. And not even like some Chick-fil-A, you know, I'm talking like straight up Taco Bell, like McDonald's, like three t- breakfast, lunch, and dinner, dog. Yeah, like hardcore. And then I get, I, and the reason is because I just didn't have a lot of exposure. So I get married, I get married, and I, my, I, my wife starts exposing me to all kinds of green vegetables and like all this. And I don't know, I, I came up here to Harlem one time hanging out with Jordan and Jess. They took me to some ramen spot. I'm like, I don't want no noodle soup. What is this with an egg in it? And I t- I'm like, Yo, my whole life opened up. Like everything changed. Like you need somebody to expose you to stuff, watch this, that your appetite, that you've never even had an appetite for. So you need to get on some type of Bible reading plan because the Holy Spirit wants to expose you to some things about God and some ways that he wants to teach you that you've never even experienced before. So here at Renaissance Church, one of the things, one of the tools that the church uses is this uh, community Bible reading journal. I found out about it through y'all. I brought it back home, got it from my church. And it helps you read through the Bible. I want to encourage you to plug into that. Read the word. Memorize verses. Find verses that address the issues you're going through. And memorize a verse and build your way up. Study it. Not just reading it, but digging deep into it. you got to learn the word of God. But we can't stop there because some of y'all, some of y'all grew up in church and y'all are like Bible trivia champions, dog. Like y'all, y'all have verses on deck at all times, but you still, you would still say, but I don't, I wouldn't describe my interaction with the word and my relationship with God as delight, enjoyment, pleasure, satisfaction. And, and I think it's because we stop at just learning it. It just becomes intellectual. It just, it's here in our, in our head. So number two, you got to not just learn it, but you got to reflect on it. You got to take the time to reflect on it. And this is the core of biblical meditation. Learning it is getting the word in your head. Reflecting on it is how you get God's word down into your heart. This this is where it really starts to get sweet, and this is where most of us miss the opportunity to really delight in God's word. This is where you let the word simmer and all the flavors and stuff start, start coming out, and you ask questions like, what's the truth being taught in this passage? How does God want me to uh, 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 apply this? You begin to think, this, this question changed my interaction with the Word. You start to ask questions like, what is this passage teaching me about God? What is this passage teaching me about God? A lot of times we're so focused on trying to see ourselves in the passage that we miss the wonder of seeing God in the passage. Right? We read the Word in order to commune with God, not only to just learn 
more stuff. And so you, you're reading Leviticus. You're like, what in the world? I'm not killing no sheep. Why, 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 why am I reading Leviticus? And you start to think about it, and you start to reflect on it, and you start to see how the pieces come together, and you start to see this portrait being painted of, of God who is holy, God who is completely separate from all impurity and sin and unrighteousness and injustice, and, and he wants us to, he invites us into that same holiness. And this is where, again, the, the community Bible reading journal can be helpful because it walks you through this process. You begin as you are reading it, then it, take, it takes you through a process, A-C-T-S. You begin with asking, what do I see about God? And you adore God based on what you see. And then you move to confessing, like, where do I need to confess sin from this passage? And you move to, to, to uh, thanksgiving, thanking God for how you begin to see the work of Jesus through this passage. And then in supplication, A-C-T-S, supplication, asking God for specific prayer requests based on that passage. It helps you walk through this process. But it doesn't just stop with, like, wake up in the morning or late at night one time. This is where the day and night starts to, to kick in. I try to commune with God all throughout the day by reflecting on specific things I, I saw in God's Word. And usually I just try to pick one thing to really reflect on. So let me give you an example so you see how this works. Let's meditate and reflect on Scripture together right now. So uh, there was a season in my life, I feel like this is every season of my life, where I needed wisdom from God. Got some decisions I need to make. I got some moves I need to make. God, I, I want your wisdom in this. And so I'm reading in the book of James, and I see James chapter 1 that says, listen, if anyone lacks wisdom, if anybody needs wisdom, ask God who gives wisdom generously. He loves giving out his wisdom, and it says this, he gives, he gives it generously and without finding fault, without finding fault. And, and here's what reflection looked like. I just paused and said, why is that in there? Like, why does it say without fine? All right, go to God. He gives wisdom generously. Okay, but why does he put, why, why does he put in there without finding fault? Like, what's that about? So I start reflecting on it. I don't figure it out in that one moment where I'm sitting there. I'm thinking about it throughout the day and whatever. And then later on one day, I get a text message from a friend, friend from college, whatever. And the text literally just says two words, you're awful. I was like, what? Like, I literally re replied, LOL. Like, I'm like, what in the world? Like, emojis all day. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought he, I thought he was joking. And he goes in like, you, you haven't been keeping up and you hard to get, you know, whatever. And I, listen, I'm really, I'm not a, I, my wife is verified. I'm emotionally dysfunctional. I get it. Just not a sensitive dude. I don't, I just don't need a lot. I don't need all of that. Like, my, me, my, me and my best friends, like, maybe we might talk like twice a month or something like that. Like, I'm good. Like, and we'll pick right back up. It's not a problem, but that's not how he's built. You know what I mean? So, so, he's neat. so I, I'm, I'm like, okay, well, why, why, haven't I, why haven't I reached out to him? Why haven't I kept in touch? And it hit me, because of stuff like this. <laughs> because of stuff, it's like every time I think about hitting him up, I, it's like I have to overcome this hurdle of what I'm, because here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, when I do hit you up, you're not going to be excited to hear from me. You're going to be mad that you haven't heard from me in so long. And here's what happens when we get in a jam and we get in a spot. We need wisdom from God. We need to hit God up. We need to come to God. But we think we just hear over and over again because of our sin and our issues and our failure and all of that. We just hear, we think we hear God saying all the time, you're awful, you're awful, you're awful, you're awful. So here's what happens. We mess things up financially or relationally or whatever. We know we need to go to God for his wisdom, 
but we don't go to him because we don't think he's going to be excited to hear from us. We think he's going to be mad that he hasn't heard from us in so long. And so we don't go to him. And here's why the Holy Spirit told James, put this in that passage, because there are going to be people who need me. And when they're ready to come to me, I want them to know I give wisdom and I do it without finding fault. Without finding fault. And so the Holy Spirit began to speak to me through his word. Listen, you need wisdom. I know you felt guilty because you didn't do this and you didn't get this in place and whatever. And I'm not going to hold that against you. I want to give you my wisdom. I want to give you my wisdom. See, that don't happen like in a little quick moment. That happens as you get God's word in your head and then you begin to reflect on it. And the Holy Spirit, listen, it, it, be, it steps out of just intellectual. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to you personally through his word, through his word. This is where you be, really start experiencing the sweetness of the Bible. And so we got we to reflect on the word of God, learn it, reflect on it. Number three, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. I'm talking about in community with other people. And so a question to ask each other is, what has God been teaching you through his word this week? When you're sitting with your friends and y'all are chopping it up, and when you're getting coffee or you're in your community group, or husbands, when you sit down to dinner with your wife and you just hit her with, what's God been teaching you through his word this week, babe? She's going to be like, really? Okay, okay. I'm trying to help you. So y'all, y'all and, and listen, this is not like, Christmas can be weird sometimes. It's not that you always got to be talking about some spiritual. Me and Aswan were just in the back in before the service talking about LeBron James and is he going to be able to pull this one out. You know what I'm saying? So we, we talk about all kinds of things. But if we are the people of God, like if, we, if I'm with a brother or sister in Christ and we love the word of God and we love God, then at some point we need to be talking about what's God saying? What is he talking about? Like what is God's word teaching us? talking about it is one way of meditating on it. So we got to learn it, reflect on it, talk about it. And number four, it's the last one, and this is the toughest one. Got to adjust your life to it. See, some of us, we say, man, I don't experience God's word like this psalm is talking about, delight and enjoyment and fulfillment and all of that. No, it's because we stop at, at learning it, even if we do that. We don't move to reflecting on it. We don't move to, to corporately together. Like, let's have a meal together and meditate and reflect on it together. And then we don't move to actually putting it into practice. Joshua 1.8 shows us the purpose of meditation. God says to Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. Why? So you can impress everybody. You can, so, no, no, no. Meditate on it so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. That's the purpose of this whole process, is for you to be transformed by God's word so that you can adjust your life to God's word. The word of God will expose what needs to change in our lives. So I'll give you an example, right? So I remember one of the interns at our church, uh, she, we were going to send her out to help plant a church in L.A., and so she moved in with my family uh, for about a year. And, oh, man, my wife's always like, man, we need to clean this, we need to clean that, and oh, you got to dust this. And I'm like, what? Baseball? Like, why we got all? And I'm like, it's good. It looks clean to me. But when Lydia was about to move in, I started noticing everything. I was like, yeah, we, can, we need to hurry up. We need to get this. We, 
Here's why. Because you really don't, you get so used to stuff, it's not until somebody else that you really care about is about to come in that you now start noticing what they wouldn't notice. See, that's the difference. When you allow God to step into your life and you invite the Word of God into your day-to-day life, the Holy Spirit is going to start exposing stuff that you wouldn't normally see. And he's not just going to show you what sin looks like. He's going to begin showing you what godliness looks like, not just what to stop doing, but he's going to start teaching you and training you in what to start doing, how to start living like Jesus lives. And so when we meditate on God's word and we get it in our head and in our hearts and it's in community and we're talking about it, then we have to begin to do the work diligently to put it into practice, to apply what we learn. And this is the beauty of it. This is the beauty of it. God is only, when he invites you and he asks you to obey him, he's only inviting you into what is ultimately going to bring you delight. He's inviting you to live the life that you've always wanted. He's inviting you to live a life of fulfillment and satisfaction that can only come through him. And that's what these two images are about in the end of the psalm. And we don't have time in this message to really, really unpack it, but I want you to get the images at least in your head. This contrast, the wicked, those who reject God, he describes them like chaff. I'm not a farmer, so I had to Google it, right? And so chaff is, chaff is like the, the outer shell of like a wheat kernel. And what the farmers would do is they would gather all of these, these wheat kernels as they picked the, the grain or whatever. And then what they would do is they would throw the grain or the wheat up into the air. And because the kernel has weight, it falls to the ground in a pile but the wind blows the chaff away because it, no, it has no roots. It has no, it has no weight. It has no life in it. It just blows away. See, the wicked, those who reject God, those who refuse to live according to God's word, that describes their life. Like this is the difference between true prosperity and temporary prosperity. It's the difference between actual prosperity or actual fulfillment and apparent prosperity and fulfillment. See, you, you can drift and you can walk away from God and it might look like everything is sweet, but when the storms really hit and the things that your happiness is dependent on is taken away or one day standing face to face before God, the storm of God's judgment hits, everything that you're building your life on, you will see, you will see like God sees, it's like chaff. It's not rooted in anything. But the righteous person is like a tree. Planted by streams of water. Leaf doesn't wither in a drought. Why? Because it's not dependent on rain. It's connected to a sustainable source. Always. So as leaf doesn't wither. And you may not see fruit yet, but just wait. It will bear fruit in its season. Because a tree is designed to bear fruit, and so this tree is going to fulfill its purpose. It will do what it's created to do. When you align yourself and you live according to God's word in relationship with him, you are enabled to live out the design that he has for your life. You're able to live the life you've always wanted, this life of fulfillment that's not just dependent on circumstances, but is rooted in the character and the promises and the presence of God. And so listen, what I want you to get is whenever you drift from God's word, you are drifting from the life you've always wanted. Whenever you start drifting from God's word, you are drifting from the life that you've always wanted. And here's the good news, right? Trees don't plant themselves, though, right? 
They don't plant themselves. And so this really is a picture of grace. You and I, we've rejected God's word, every single one of us. None of us, none of us has perfectly been able to live out Psalm 1. None of us have perfectly been able to reject the path that leads us away from God. None of us have perfectly delighted in the word of God. None of us have been that tree planted by streams at all times. No, none of us have, but there is one who has. See, we're disqualified because of our sin from the prosperity and the kind of fulfillment that God desires for us. But there is one, Jesus, there is one who rejected the, 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 the path of the wicked, the counsel of the wicked, when he, when he resisted temptation in the wilderness. There is one, Jesus, who meditated on God's word day in and day out throughout his life. And even when he was on the cross, even when he's on the cross getting ready to die for you and die for me, what is he doing? He's meditating on the Psalms. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting from the Psalms even while he's on the cross suffering. And so even when the dry season came and he gave up his last breath and he died and it looked like, yo, this tree is about to wither. This tree is about to wither. Man, what happens? He bore fruit in due season. Three days later, it was a three-day-long season that people looked at and said, what happened to this dude? Three days later, he rose from the grave and he fulfilled his purpose and he bore his fruit in due season to show, to demonstrate that he really is the tree that's planted by streams of water. Not even death can cause his leaf to wither. Not even death can stop him from bearing fruit. So the good news of the gospel is not that you and I can perfectly live out Psalm 1. It's not that we will always get it right. It's that Jesus did. He's the tree planted by streams of water and we get to be connected to him. And so the life that he's able to draw from his eternal source, we get to experience it and enjoy it, not because of anything in us, but because of everything in him and everything that he did for us when he died and he rose from the grave. Jesus is the faithful one, and because of him, we get to live the life we've always wanted. We get to live this life of fulfillment, and I'm asking you, I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you, whether it's for the first time or you've been rocking with Jesus for a while, I want to invite you to accept God's invitation and step into this life that you can only find through his word. Let me pray for us. Father, I think, I think it's appropriate for us to just say we need you. Like, I need you. We need you, Father. This life that we strive after for of fulfillment and enjoyment and satisfaction, Lord. Man, we can get it on our own way, Father, but it will just be temporary, Lord. It will be shallow. It will be empty. But, Lord, you invite us into a life of worship, a life of reliance and trust in you that leads to ultimate eternal joy. Oh, God, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to see who you are. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give it up for Mike.